0: Well, good morning, church. Let's take our Bibles. Let's go to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. Good to uh, good to see you this morning. Couple of uh, couple notes. So later on at the end of the service, um, we will. Uh, I'm going to pray over uh, these pledge cards that we have been praying through for about a month, and um, some of you have already turned those in. Some of you have have not, and uh, we'll just turn them in at the back in in on each side in the giving baskets but i just kind of want us to, to pray about that at the end of the service and uh, so thankful for our next point team and the direction that they're uh, they're helping us point to, to follow the lord and over the next year it's up to us right i mean there was a uh, in the book of nehemiah I, I like what what it says there it says the people had a mind to work now we, we're not going to to build you know our our new education and and space by ourselves. we're actually, you know, raising money for somebody to be able to do that um, and, and done right. But our part is to have a mind and a heart to give. And if you look back there on our uh, by our giving boxes, sometimes things in this room become so familiar to us that we um, forget that they're there. But when you go out this morning, if you just glance at that giving sign, it says that basically giving is an expression or a response to a heart that's been transformed by grace. God gave his best for us, and so we give our life, our hearts, our time, and uh, our money uh, to see the, the mission of God and God's purposes extended through the world. So, just remind you about pledge cards today. We will announce those um, next week. A, uh, a new baby's born Thursday night. Madeline and Cody Holloway had a baby boy, Dalton Andrew, eight pounds, two ounces, 21 and a half inches long. So, uh, that's awesome. For uh, for them as well. If you go out in the lobby, um, you'll start noticing we've it's been in flux for uh, a long time, but uh, we finally got it structured. So when you go out there, just if you sometimes you go out your exit door and then you don't look at the rest of the lobby. Truth, people, mission, and if you'll just glance through those occasionally, our truth section. About once a month, we're going to kind of mix this up. But we got some recommended reading for you out there. If you just you know want to looking for a good book to read. The resources that Justin and I use as we prepare to preach, that's kind of in the middle of the truth section. So some commentaries and other stuff, you kind of wonder like, um, you know, where, where we study from, it's there. And then there's uh, and also a place where free resources, we'll put books up there from time to time, just swipe one of those. Please don't swipe my commentary that's under the, the study portion because I need that, okay? But anything under like the free resources, you can grab, all right? People section is we have different announcements throughout the church. We'll have that small groups. You still got opportunities to jump in a small group anytime this semester they're there. And then little addition on the mission side, there's just kind of been like a bare wall there on, on the actual map. There's, there's these magnets, there's six magnets right there. And that's different places in the U S and in the world where we are financially and prayerfully invested to see God's gospel go to the nation's. Praise God. I, I, I put it up this week, um, took a picture of it, sent it to Daniel, just to make sure that my football non-creative mind, that it looked okay. And um, I just, I got back to the office and I was like, dude, let's pray that God just like fills that thing up, that over the coming years that we just see our church being able to invest in um, the nations. Acts chapter 15. We are, the next three weeks going to be in Acts chapter 15. And I want you to think of this. Uh, There's 28 chapters in the book of Acts. And I want you to think of this chapter as a hinge chapter. This is where literally this is the first chapter of the second half of Acts. And the way that Luke has been writing the book, laying out the book, this is a crazy important chapter. Like for instance, this is the last time in the book of Acts that we hear about Peter. Up to this place there, up to this chapter, there's like 54 references to Peter involved in 14 different stories. The 55th reference to Peter in Acts 15, the 15th story that Peter's involved in, and then guess what? He's not mentioned again. He's only mentioned twice in the book of Galatians, and then his epistles, and that's it for Peter. The hinge starts being moved from Jerusalem and the mission to the Jews, and Luke starts focusing his attention on Paul's ministry and the gospel to the Gentiles. So this is a huge chapter for a lot of reasons, but it's a big chapter because the church faces another crisis. And the crisis culminates in the Jerusalem Council, and that's the title of the message today, the Jerusalem Council Part 1. Now, keep in mind, again, if you were here last week, Justin did an incredible thing. He went through the first 14 chapters and got you out by lunch. Somebody's roast beef may have been a little warm or a little too warm, but good job, Justin. 14 chapters, he walked us through. Do you remember the one word up to this point that characterized Acts, the reason that Luke wrote it to Theophilus? you remember that word last week? Certainty. Awesome. Certainty. And so, Justin walked us through our arrows in the book of Acts. We are certain that Jesus went up. Amen? He's ascended. He's Lord of all. We are certain that the Holy Spirit came down. And he lives in every born-again believer. And we are certain, sometimes we forget or we get scared, but we need to be reminded that we are sent to the world because Jesus builds his church through the church. Now, today, the church is facing something that was uncertain, and it had to be, I'm trying to create a word here, certainized, <laughs> It had to be nailed down. They had to affirm something so that they would be certain of it going forward. This week, we're going to look at the first half of of the Jerusalem Council. Next week, we're going to look at what happened right after the Jerusalem Council. And then in two weeks, Justin is going to take the end of Acts chapter 15. Let's read the text together. Let's read the first 18 verses, and then we will walk through God's Word from there. But some men came down from Judea. And we're teaching the brothers, quote, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, underline this word, you cannot be saved. That's a strong word, isn't it? You cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dis- dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church... Lord, we pray that you would help us to understand the Word of God, help me to be faithful to teach it this morning, and uh, Lord, even teach me as I'm teaching. Bring truth to our heart, unite us around your truth, may we be certain in how we are saved, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Where we left off in the book of Acts, the last message that we had from a passage in the book of Acts back in May is when Barnabas and Paul come back. From their first missionary journey. Now, I had to do it. I got a map, so I got a laser pointer. Here we go. All right, throw the map up if you would, Kendi. Let's just refresh ourselves. So here's the church at Jerusalem, and really what? Through the first 10 chapters of Acts, the church expands northward. Now, we know the Ethiopian eunuch, he went southward into Africa, but primarily it's focused on Jerusalem out. Now, in Acts 11, what do we find? The church at Antioch in Syria. In Acts 13 and 14, Paul and Barnabas, where did they go? They went to Cyprus. And then you remember through several weeks, we walked through these initial churches in Galatia, Antioch, Iconium, Alistra, Derbe. And then you remember Paul and Barnabas could have said, hey, let's take the shortcut home. But What did they do? They went back through all the churches to raise up elders, to baptize, to strengthen those churches. So now, at the end of 14, they're back here in Antioch of uh, Syria. Now, what's going on between Acts, 4, end of Acts 14 and Acts 15? Normal life. When you read the book of Acts, there's sometimes where you just seem to go, they ate breakfast. They went to work. They... I don't know what kind of diapers they had, but something got changed. They went to the market. They had headaches. They got sick. They went to sleep. Because when you read the book of Acts, sometimes you can just be like, ba-da-da-da-da-da-da, and you just like hold things over in three minutes. Wow, my life's not like that. This is a period of just normality in the life of the church. Can I just tell you that the great gains of the Christian life are not necessarily made in the moments that are emotionally filled and spiritually heavy, but oftentimes you don't realize that you're growing when life is just, yeah, normal, there's nothing in the clouds, there's no lights and smoke, but it's just daily faithfulness, daily obedience, just, Lord, I don't know where I am, but I'm trying And the pause here is for that reason. I mean, I guess Luke could have written 28 chapters about they woke up, they ate breakfast, and they went to sleep, and it was a normal day. But you're covering a lot of ground here. Now, at this place, it's important for us to kind of figure out where we're at. Now, this is probably around 49 or 50 A.D. Jesus was crucified 29 A.D., 30 A.D., 31. This is in the first 20 years of the church, And something happens in chapter 15, verse 1. Now notice, some men came down from Judea. Map one more time, please. Notice it says they came down from Judea. Well, they're going north. Elevation, y'all, geography, remember that. So it says here that some men go from Jerusalem down to Antioch. Now these would be people um, that we'll call Judaizers, Okay, I'll define that term in just a minute. These are people, and we find out later in the chapter, that the church at Jerusalem doesn't consider these people to really be brothers, because they don't call them brothers. James actually calls them later on, he calls them some men. And so, some people come from Jerusalem, and when they get to Antioch, I'm, I'm just thinking here why they would begin to gain you know, a, a hearing, and they start maybe dropping names, Jerusalem. Here we are. And they start teaching something. And notice what they start teaching in verse 1. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And what we find in the book of Acts, after a kind of just season of peace and calmness and just normality, check this out, y'all there's another crisis. And that's what I want you to see first in the text this morning. The next crisis for the church. Now, if we go back through the book of Acts, we've had some crises, hadn't we? Think about chapter one. Jesus is gone. We're going to lock the doors. We're scared of the Jews, right? And then, and then um, they, they pray, and then the Holy Spirit comes. Everything's good. Then they start preaching the gospel, and they get put in jail like two or three times. And then everything's good. And the Lord's working, and then what happens? Stephen gets arrested, he gets put on trial, and he gets executed. And there's persecution, and then the gospel starts spreading, and we start getting some some uh, some tread in Samaria, and an uh, Ethiopian unit gets saved. And then guess what? God saves the Gentiles, and that creates another crisis, right? Like Peter, you went in and you ate it, you ate with uncircumcised people, and then they figure that one out. And then back to Jerusalem, Peter gets arrested, and James, the brother of John, gets killed, and then Peter gets rescued, and then everything's great, and then Paul and Barnabas go out, and what happens in different places? They get persecution. In Lystra, Paul almost dies. And then we get to chapter 14, and everything's good. Time for another crisis, right? <laughs> why, why is that important for us to see? There will always be crises for the church. Why? Can we just blame the devil first? Let's just get that out of the way, okay? Satan is at work. He's at work trying to stop Jesus from building his church. He is spawning off every type of different false teaching in the world. But the fact of the matter is, there will also be crises in the church because you and I aren't totally sanctified yet. We, we value the, we, we the uh, yays and drama. Hey, just because there's drama on TV and the culture doesn't mean we got to have it in the church, okay? Amen? Um, but there's going to be it. We preach through 1 Corinthians. I mean, just, it's just wild. It's just why we prize drama, not sure the, the wrong type. But there's another crisis here, and crises are inevitable as we go on to glory because we are in a battle. There are people all around us that hang in the balance of eternity, But this isn't some dualism, some good versus evil, just where the sides are even. This is the cosmic king of the universe who has all power, who some little fallen angel has mounted a rebellion, and he has influence and his hooks everywhere. But check this out. He will lose. Jesus will win. But because of the battle, there's crises. Now, I want you to see... Why this is so big a deal and why this crisis is so big. First, because this crisis was about the core of the gospel. The claim here, unless you are circumcised according to the customs of Moses, you cannot be saved. Somebody comes from Jerusalem, some people come from Jerusalem, and they think that they are proclaiming some type of salvation. Now, I would say, when you see the word at the end of verse 1, notice, saved, okay? Greek sozo. When we think saved, what do we think as Christians? Heaven, hell, atonement, deliverance, justification. Because these guys probably aren't Christians, they're talking more about like messianic salvation. The, the, the salvation of Israel from God's historic purposes. So, so don't see that and immediately think like a, an evangelical. Like this is heaven, hell, sin's forgiven. If I die, where will I be? Like that's not what's going on. What they do is they basically come up and they say, you are not going to be involved in anything salvific God does unless you get circumcised. And so for the church that believes in the Messiah... Who is preaching the Messiah? They start hearing. Now, this is in Antioch, so these are Gentiles. Hey, unless we get circumcised, we're not going to be included in God's salvation activity? What? And so, what's at stake here is the core of the gospel what saves? Does God completely save us? Do we completely save ourselves? Is there some mixture in between? What does God contribute? What do we contribute? All those are possibilities and what's being said here. But notice how emphatic these guys were. Unless and you cannot. (laughs) They put something on the claims of God's salvific work that mandated Adherence to what they said. And if it didn't happen, guess what? You're not going to get saved. Now, what is a Judaizer? Judaizers were Jews that basically said faith in God plus something. Or something plus faith in God. So faith alone wasn't enough. Well, for these Christians that were taught that they were supposed to believe in what Jesus had done, this is a disturbing teaching. Because in a Gentile world, they're trying to ask, do I need to be completely Jewish? Can I continue to roll along with my life as I want? Do I have to be half Jewish? What's going on? And so these false teachers come up and they start teaching this. Now, it would do you very good over the next three weeks to maybe like read through the book of Galatians as we walk through Acts 15. And the reason for that is... Paul basically just like throws haymakers at the Judaizers in the book of Galatians. Now, let's bring it to our day and just apply it for a minute. A false gospel, a Judaizer today says you can be saved if you believe in Jesus and do something else. Or, this is the deceptive one for people like us. You be the best you can be, you do the best you can do, and guess what? You just kind of add Jesus on it and everything's okay. Both of those are false gospels. Both of them are. Because what is said here is, unless you do something, unless you do this physical activity, unless you do this physical ritual, you cannot be saved. There's no hope for you. And so this is a crisis, y'all, about the core of the gospel. But but secondly, it's a crisis because it involves the unity of the church. (laughs) We got Jews, and we got Gentiles, and are they really united? Is there like, does God really accept us like we are? Or do we have to now, at 38 years old, or 28 years old, or 48 years old, have physically to happen to us what happened to all of them at eight years old, or at eight days old? And you see what's happening here the unity of the church is at stake because are we really one? Or does God really like you a little more because you're of the tribe of Benjamin and I'm of the tribe of Greece. <laughs> Does God show favorites? Does God value you more than he values me? Well, 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 you know what? I got, I got things that I've done as a Gentile that aren't bad. Hey Jews, y'all should do this. And guess what? We get back to drama. Yeah Yeah, there we go. So this is, was disrupting the unity of the church, but it was also, check this out, it was a crisis about the mission of the church. I wrote this down in my Bible when I read this. Is this, you cannot be saved unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses. Is this what Jesus commanded the church to say? Is this what Jesus commanded the church to do? Is this what Jesus commanded to go out and make the circumcised of all nations. Did he say that? Did he say it? Uh, no, uh, go and make disciples of all nations, circumcising them in the name of the Father and the Son. Of That'd be interesting, wouldn't it? <laughs> it's not what he said. So, check this out. The crisis here is what do we believe? What do we unite around so that we can know what we are to proclaim? You ever met somebody they didn't know the gospel, they just know a bunch of rules. And if you're gonna to come to Jesus, you might as well go get all your tattoos magically erased. You better cut your hair. You better do this. You better read this certain translation of the Bible. You you can't listen to this music anymore. And unless you do those things, you cannot be saved. And what happens is, isn't this interesting? We find ourselves in the first century, in the deep south, imposing rules on people that Jesus never did. I knew he'd get quiet there. It's a crisis. It's a crisis. Notice this, y'all. I was listening to a man preach this passage this week. Great point he made. If Satan cannot get us on going out and living up and enjoying our flesh and the pleasures of this world, he may attack us from a legalistic angle. If he can't get us to go in one ditch, guess what? He may get us to go in another ditch. And that the gospel to us doesn't become the free grace of God, it becomes the rules that we keep in order to keep us right with God. If Satan can't get us one way, he may come at us another. And this threatened the life of the church at Antioch. Now, what's amazing to me, and I think it points to all of us, is how these people even got a hearing. (laughs) Right? Like, how come the first day these people didn't show up, like some random dude, and i be like, hey, do this bogus deuces, see you later. Like, no, nah, that's not what Paul and Barnabas taught us. That's not what our elders taught us. If you go back to, if you remember in, in chapter 13, that's not what Simeon, who's called Niger, taught us. That's not what Lucius of Cyrene taught us. That's not what Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. How is it that false teachers oftentimes get the ear sometimes of an unsuspecting sheep? we better watch out. I don't say this as a pastor. Let me just say this as as a Christian. Many times we, when the next little thing comes along, we can neglect the spiritual voices in our life that have given us truth for decades to run after the latest little fad and latest little firework show that's coming out of culture or social media. And there's no chapter and verse attached to it. There's no orthodoxy attached to it. Stephen Furtick says it, so it must be true. No, it's what the Word says. And if God has faithfully poured into you with faithful words from faithful people, do not leave those people for one minute to chase some little fad that's not from the Word of God. That's how cults start. That's how false teachers start. And what happens is they just get a little hearing. Well, it bothers as it should many people. So I want you to see, secondly, the initial response to the crisis. The initial response to the crisis. Verse 2, "...and after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question." There is an initial response to this false teaching and false gospel that says if you are a Gentile, you cannot be saved unless physically you become like the Jews. What was the response? First, there was a recognition and opposition of the false teaching. Verse 2, And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, you know, we would just be like, Luke, won't you just say like, he had a large dissension. It's just the way Luke emphasizes it. They did not have a small dissension. We know that. It was a large dissension. The, the word there literally means that Paul and Barnabas came face to face with these Judaizers. I love that. Don't you? Because it's not personality that's the conflict here. It's not like I'm jealous that you've got more followers on your podcast than me right now. What infuriated Paul and Barnabas is, for years they had poured into these people. They had seen God do a work in them. And false teacher, you're not about to go after my sheep right now. I may get in trouble for saying this. I don't know. It's the equivalent of like a shepherd... And I'm not, I won't get in trouble because I'm going to meta, metaphorize it to the, the, the animal realm. If I'm a shepherd and a wolf comes at me, I'm either pulling out a 44 magnum, a 12-gauge, or an AR and pointing at the wolf's head and say, stay away from my people. And spiritually speaking, I want to look at some of these frauds and charlatans. They're not P-R-O-P-H-E-T prophets. They're P-R-O-F-I-T prophets. Stay away. It's God's people. And what do Paul and Barnabas do? They oppose these men to their face. And they recognize this false teaching. I mean, good luck, Judaizers trying to, win, uh, trying to win an argument with a dude that studied under Gamaliel and got saved out of it. You know what I'm saying? Like, good luck. That's what happens. So, can I ask us this first? Do we recognize false teaching? Do we recognize false teaching where we could oppose it? You know, the been told many times that you can spot counterfeit money, but not by studying counterfeit money, but by staring at the real thing and touching the real thing and knowing the real thing. And you ever been in a curb store and somebody came out of it mad that somebody didn't take their money and you look at it and you're like, bro, I saw that wasn't a real $20 bill from like five feet away. You know what I'm talking about? Like Andrew Jackson's face is this big or this big, you know what I'm talking about? I just know that his face is supposed to be a certain size. I, I should say maybe not Andrew Jackson for me. I'm more familiar with George Washington. You know what I'm talking about? There we go. Maybe even the quarter, you know what I'm talking about? I didn't bring up Benjamin Franklin on purpose. Anyway, we, we, we learn the faults by knowing the true. And we're bound with each other to be able to help each other. If you find somebody listening to something that's not of the Scriptures, please, 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 lovingly, hey, brother, let's talk about that. Sister, let's, let's talk about that. And I'm thankful at our church that I serve with men who would go face-to-face with false teachers publicly, too. We love you too much to see you sucked into that which is not of God. And more than that, God loves you too much. And see, when you start loving God's people and you commit to God's people, guess what you start saying? Hey, brother, I love you too much. Hey, sister, I love you too much to get sucked into this. So they respond to this false teaching, but then they, they debate it, and that, that's, that's the interesting part of it. Now, this, this isn't a debate where Paul and Barnabas are trying to, again, score points so everybody thinks they're a better teacher. They recognize what's at stake, because Antioch now has become like the second mother church. Jerusalem sent out people, and those people went and founded a church at Antioch, and now, guess what? Antioch was the church that sent Paul and Barnabas out, and guess who Iconium and Lystra and Antioch of Pisidia all kind of looked to as the mother church? Now it's Antioch. And so Paul and Barnabas realized what's on the line here. It is the future mission of the church, and so they debate this. But notice this, and this stood out to me the past few days. It says that obviously there was no resolution And what's very good here is that Paul and Barnabas just don't stand and be like, hey, we're somebody, listen to us. Notice what it says. They were appointed. Not that they appointed themselves in verse 2. That they were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. Verse 3, so being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria. And then it says in verse 4, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church. Paul and Barnabas, apostles, church planners, Bible teachers. They get in this discussion and debate with these false teachers, and guess what happens? They basically look at their other buddies who are in charge And they basically look at the church and they say, check this, we are going to involve the entire church in this matter. And what you see this response to this crisis is that all the Christians were involved and not just the Christians in Antioch. We'll see in just a moment, Christians in Phoenicia and Samaria, as they work their way down the coast as they go to Jerusalem, and the church at Jerusalem. Notice in verse 3, they were sent out by a church. In verse 4, they were welcomed by a church. The emphasis here is not on one man who has the right opinion, who's the right teacher. The church is involved in this process. This is a great example. This is a tremendous example of how the scriptures present church leadership and church membership. Notice Paul and Barnabas are appointed. They don't appoint themselves. Passive verb here. They receive appointment. How did that work? Probably the other guys, and if there's been more that have been named since chapter 13, probably Simeon and Lucius and Manaen and other men brought before the church and said, hey, this is how we're going to settle this. Let's send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, where Peter is, where James is, where the other apostles are. And the church is like, yeah, let's do that. And how humble is that for Paul and Barnabas? Okay. I mean, if you've seen Christ raised from the dead and you just planted five or six churches across Galatia and God did crazy signs and wonders through you, as an American, what would be like, no, I don't need anybody else. What do Paul and Barnabas do? great idea. I'll go down to Jerusalem. I can't call Peter ahead of time and tell him to take my side. I'm just going to show up. See the humility here? And so here are these men, and check this out. It also says in verse two, and some of the others, Paul and and Barnabas said, hey, we we need more people on the team. This is humility. They knew they were right. They knew God was right. They knew that we're saved by grace through faith. But guess what? Let's be humble about it. And so just as we've done sometimes here, because we're trying to emulate the New Testament, our leaders may present something and allow for feedback and prayer, and then guess what? We affirm together, right? And so they're not sending them out on a mission trip like we prayed over our DR team and our students this summer. They're sending them out on like a theology trip. (laughs) But the point is, all the church agrees and sends them out. Now, this would be a 250-mile trip little over it from Antioch to Samaria. Kennedy, one more time, please. I like maps. All right. Notice about 250 miles. Okay. So they take advantage. It probably took them about a month. Okay. So they take advantage and the Bible says there in verse four, that they start stopping all along the way. So it says in the regions of Samaria, which will be in in this area, in Phoenicia, they were stopping all along the way. Because you remember, if you go back to chapter eleven, when the Hellenist Christians were driven from persecution, what did they do? They preached the gospel all the way to Antioch. And so there's Christian communities that have probably been in existence more than Antioch or longer than Antioch. And so as Paul and Barnabas, they take this opportunity over probably a month to work their way down, and what does it say in verse 3? They described in detail the conversion of the Gentiles. They hadn't been through those places and telling of that. And so what you see is that Paul and Barnabas give other churches, check this out, the opportunity to hear what God's doing. And those people don't say, yeah, you need to circumcise them. What do they say? Praise God the Gentiles are saved. See the confidence? So so here's a here's a little tip. Okay, here's a little tip. If you get some fault that you think you need to impose it on the church, first run it through the word. <laughs> Second, run it by your elders or your and your pastors. Third, run it by other Christians. And three strikes makes an out. Drop it. You feel me? But 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 God said, well he already said. And he's given people in your life to shepherd you and They know God's word, too. And then there's other Christians who have the same spirit of you. And if everybody's like, hey, God didn't say that, that was indigestion. God didn't say that, that was acid reflux. God didn't say that, that was Taco Bell. Check this out. Drop it. But you see what they're doing? They're standing on the word. They're standing with each other. And all the way down, they're standing with other believers. Verse 5 but some believers, they get to Jerusalem, it says, but some believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, quote, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. So they make it to Jerusalem. They, they finish their trip. I don't know if I'm going to finish my trip through verse 18. Probably not going to happen this morning, okay? But they make their trip to Jerusalem. And when they get there, notice this is different from the Judaizers who came in verse 1. It says that there were some believers, but they were still attached to the Pharisees. These were Christians coming out of hardcore, legalistic religion. But they're believers. The text says it, we believe it. They're completely different. Verse 1 is false teachers. James will say later in the passage, um, we, we may get to it next week that they're just men, they're not believers. But Luke calls these guys believers. And notice what it says. They don't question the salvation of these Gentiles. What is the question? Because they are saved, it's necessary to circumcise them and order them to keep the law of Moses. So check this out. The false teaching here is not you have to do this to be saved. Check this out. Because you are saved, you have to do this. You're a Gentile. Okay, you're saved. Praise God. You're part of the family. But we're at ground zero here in Jerusalem, and we just need to let you know that you need to be circumcised, and you need to keep the law of Moses. Can I just say that some of us, this is where we need to watch, where we believe the gospel, and we are thankful that others believe in the gospel, but once they believe the gospel, we hand them a book of, this are all the rules that work for me now, it needs to work for you. Our churches in the Pine Belt and the Bible Belt reek of this. Why is it that we think that we are saved by grace and then we turn around and we are sanctified by law and rules? Now, I know why some of us do it. Some of us come out of a, a lifestyle that wasn't like privately wicked. It was like openly wicked. And check this out. When you share your testimony, please always talk about more than, of what Jesus did for you than what sin did to you. You ever heard somebody tell their testimony? 50 minutes. They talk about, they can name like every person they ever met in any like uncouth establishment, right? And then at the end, Jesus saved me. Well, dude, I wanted to hear about that. What I'm talking about? Praise God he brought you out of the the miry clay. Praise God. But check this out. Sometimes we who are brought out of that type of lifestyle, we don't ever want to go back to it. And so guess what we do? We cut off every avenue of our life that could even potentially cause us to even be remotely around that. And then we impose that on everybody else. And guess what that becomes? Legalism. It's like my dad. He's at Highland Church this morning. So I'll tell him later on. I use him as an example. I was, a few years back, I was covering the, uh, the Conference USA baseball tournament, and uh, we were talking, he we was talking baseball, and Southern Miss was in it, and he said, where are you going to eat tonight? I said, I don't know. And I said, I heard the Beau Ravage has a good buffet. I may go over there, I don't go in that casino. Don't do that. And I didn't eat at the Beau Ravage, and, you know, we can have a conversation about that later on. Well, Dad, why why can't I eat at the Boer? I was like, this is the man who has going to watch the Kentucky Derby on his bucket list. (laughs) Right? I love my dad. I'm thankful he yells into my life and prays for me and speaks into my life. But if we aren't careful, guess what? We can move out of the realm of orthodoxy, primary, and we can move into secondary and tertiary. While that may be a wise decision, it's not written in the text, thou shalt not. And so guess what happens? Our conviction becomes orthodoxy and primary on somebody else. That's what Paul gets at in the New Testament, doesn't he? Some Christians were like, hey man, they sacrifice all that meat to idols and then they sell like ribeyes for like super cheap after. Rock on, let's go. And somebody else is like, you ate meat sacrificed to idols? And they were probably saying that because it came out of an idolatrous background. And so what's the answer? The answer is, if it's my conviction, guess what? I'm going to honor the conviction that I have before the Lord. But I'm not going to insert it into the Bible, put a chapter and verse by it, and then say every Christian for all time has to follow it. And if they don't, they're less spiritual than me. At the same time, I'm going to listen to other brothers and sisters who have conviction about certain things so that if, if, if my heart needs to, needs to be sharpened, that maybe I've been overlooking something, maybe I am, by my actions, putting myself in unwise places or unwise positions, or guess what? I, I can learn from them. But I'm not going to dump on other people what Jesus has not dumped on, not, not given me to obey. Does that make sense? And guess by saying all that, I just created like tons of gray areas. (laughs) You have the Spirit of God and you have the Word of God and you have the people of God. And that's why you need to live in community. Does that make sense? I'm not trying to create confusion, but I don't want us to be saying it is necessary for these new believers to do all of these things. Now, what is necessary? Live in the Word spend time with God in prayer. If the text says it, we obey it. The scripture lays out specific areas to obey. We do that. All those one another commands. That's, see, that's the thing. Like you don't have to try to figure it out on your own. Like you can bounce thoughts off with God's people. That's like, so that's we have small groups. That's why you got people in your life. Like, we're never meant just to say, well, I came to the conclusion by myself on the deer stand one day, it needs to be for everybody. No, like, like flesh stuff out. There's still stuff like I ask people questions about all the time. Seems like the more that I learn, the more I don't know. The key here is it is necessary. Can I give you just a little tidbit? Justin and I were laughing about this this week. I think Daniel was in on this conversation too. This Jerusalem Council goes down. And then in chapter 16, it says, and Paul took Timothy and circumcised him. It's just like, I just thought we worked through that. (laughs) You know what? It was necessary for Timothy to be a good witness to Jews. But Paul wasn't inserting something on someone all time. Does that make sense? So this issue here doesn't need to be imposed on all the Gentiles. It's not necessary to circumcise him. It's not necessary in order to keep the law of Moses. I'm going to have to land the plane here. It's a good thing we preach passage by passage. We're preaching psalm by psalm to you guys who just started showing up to cross Point. Sometimes we have to end the message early because there's no way we're going to deal with it. So next week we'll just pick back up where we left off. Amen? So we're like, good, he's done. All right, let me, let me, let me end this way. Let me, let me, let me land this way. Kennedy, I'm just going to put up the, the, those, the two application points. Let, let's apply it this way. First, we must never alter or change the gospel. The facts of the gospel, the call of the gospel, the commands of the gospel, it's not our place to change it. Until you died to provide the gospel, you... you you don't have the rank or position to change it. Our job is to believe it and our job is to share it. And as we share it, not add anything to it. Secondly, we must not impose on others what God does not impose on us. Can I encourage some of you this morning? God God cleans his fish after he catches them. And some of you, The goal in life is not to get your neighbor morally clean so that they make you feel better while you're around them. Your job is to get in the ditch of sanctification with them to see them born again. And through struggle and pain and weakness and tears and fight and time and love, you see the the character of Jesus Christ produced in them. It doesn't work by saying, hey, here's a little rule book. Sometimes it's like, dude, I don't know what that verse means. Give me like three days, I'll get back with you. Mm -hmm. Or, hey, man, that's super obvious, like, you need to do that. And then saying, hey, you don't do it either. Well, you're right, brother, I'm sorry. Let's do that together. These little, like, little quips and just little, like, band-aids and, like, little pithy sayings, if you just do this, your life will be better. Many times we just find ourselves imposing things that will never fix us. And this is the crisis of Jerusalem adding to the gospel, taking away from the gospel. And we see the response of Paul and Barnabas in humility saying, check this out. We know what the truth is, but we want all the church to have a say on this because check this out. When we emerge in a few weeks out of the Jerusalem council, you will see that this issue has been settled. And when it pops back up in Galatians, in the churches of Galatia, Paul can write again, no, no. We're saved by grace through faith. We're saved by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. And sometimes we only arrive at that certainty when we pound it out together. And that's what Acts 15 is. They are pounding it out together. Where has a churchianity culture altered or changed the gospel? in our town, our county, our state, our country? How have we tried to improve the gospel? How have we tried to try to make it fit us? Because Pharisees basically think they can do a better job than God can. Judaizers think that their message is better than the message that God gave. What have you suddenly or consciously imposed on others that God doesn't impose on them? Or, What am I neglecting that God's called me to do? God's word's good. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the scriptures. Thank you that we can just open up the text and look at it and we have the freedom, Lord, to pick it back up next week and help us to Wrestle through things like the early church did. God, I pray for the humility of Barnabas and Paul for all of us. God, I pray for the boldness of Barnabas and Paul. I pray for, in one way, uh, uh, we'll be unmoved on what I know the gospel to be. On the other hand, a a compassion and almost a, a patience. To see, Lord, you confirm and affirm your word. Thank you, Lord, for the truth that was handed down once and for all to the saints. And thank you that we can never be saved by our own works. It's not enough. We thank you for Jesus and what he's done for us. God, thank you for your church in Jerusalem, in Phoenicia, and Samaria and Antioch and Galatia in Mississippi, and everywhere in between. Lord, take your word. Please work it in our hearts. Lord, protect us from false teaching. God, protect us from a popular religious message that is not in line with the scriptures. God, protect us from just listening to voices that shouldn't earn our trust and neglecting voices that should. We want to be people of the word. We want to be people of the truth. We want to be people that love your people and the people of God everywhere. And Lord, those who aren't yet in the faith. So we pray you would work your word in our hearts. Let's stand together. We're going to sing All Hail King Jesus as we think through God's truth and God's word. Maybe you need to pray this morning. I'll be at the back if you need to talk. We have other people in this room that can counsel with you. Aren't you thankful not just for a the truth worth being certain over, but a king who the truth comes from, who rules and reigns over all? Let's worship him together. Daniel, lead us.